Today's episode of Theoretically Speaking features Dr. Newton Baliga from the Institute for Systems Biology and Dr. Thomas Brown from SIAPS. They give an in-depth discussion on utilizing real-world data, machine learning, and systems biology for benefiting therapeutic development. Let's jump in. As you and I know, and as we've recently discussed, again, a wide-ranging topic and one where many terms are thrown about, and it's always helpful to maybe start out framing some of those terms, some of those definitions. And the most obvious pair to talk about is that of real-world data as well as big data. In clinical medicine and clinical research, we think of real-world data as being everything outside of clinical trials. But give us your take on RWD and big data and the difference between the two. That's a great place to start. Now, I'll start with uh, defining big data because that includes everything, including real-world data. So the term big data, it's not exactly clear when, when the term was originally coined, but it has been used to describe the universe of extremely large amounts of data. And, and when I say data, this is big data refers to digital data that can be compiled in a manner that can be computationally mined for insights based on patterns and, uh, and associations and so on. And it's good to kind of get a sense of how big this data universe is and how fast it's growing. So in, in 2005, the size of the data universe was about 130 exabytes. So to give you a sense of what an exabyte is, that's equivalent to 1 billion gigabytes. Put that into perspective. So a high definition movie is about two gigabytes. So in 2005, we had 130 exabytes of total data universe size. And the International Data Corporation made some projections that by 2020, we would have about 40,000 exabytes of data. It turns out in 2021, just in 2021, we generated about 80,000 exabytes of data. And put that into perspective, that's assigning 10,000 gigabytes of data to each individual on this planet. So it's incredibly large amounts of data. And these have been used and mined effectively by a lot of companies. I mean, you know, you're told what next appliance to buy or what book to read next, etc. Those are all based on mining patterns of purchases and usage of appliances and so on. Now, let's look at uh, real world data, which is in a way a subset of the big data universe. So there's a definition by the FDA for big data, and they refer to it as the data that is related to patient health status and or delivery of healthcare routinely. And these data are collected from a variety of different sources. They can include things like electronic health records, uh, claims and billing activities, product and disease registries. And there's also molecular profiling information that is growing at, at a very fast pace. So, so one thing to know is the, the, there's three Vs, they say, for big data that apply to real world data. One is variety, the different kinds of data that you can generate. There's volume, large amounts of data, and velocity is the pace at which the data are generated. So I think that should give you a rough idea of what we mean when we say big data or real world data. Are there issues in terms of preservation of data as 
as time passes, effectively having a comprehensive library of data as it, as it accumulates? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of key aspects to making data useful. One is making sure you capture the metadata information, how it was collected, and with what technologies, how it was processed, if it has been gone through some, some pipelines, archiving it in a way that is accessible, that is secure. Privacy is a big issue when it comes to big data. The need for standard vocabulary of data. So when you preserve it, you preserve it in a way that can still be interpreted for, for the long run. So the data is only as useful as how it has been, how it has captured the essence of what it information it contains. And it's a nicely framed question. Correlation clearly isn't causation, yet the spurious examples cited have highly significant p-values. How does this apply to medical data? What are some ways to get around p-values in understanding the underlying mechanisms of biological processes? A very sophisticated question. We only have uh, a matter of a minute or so to respond, but what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very well-phrased question. Uh, the, the people say there's reality and then there's statistics, right? So there's p-hacking that is well-known. So you have to really use the right statistical test when you analyze these large data sets. And there's a lot of considerations in terms of distribution of data, uh, size effect, and the likelihood of finding various correlations that go into selecting the right kind of testing. And as I said, multiple hypothesis testing is one thing that needs to be done. Selecting the appropriate statistical test based on data distribution, et cetera, is important. And at the end of the day, iterating back and testing your new insight is absolutely critical. So you can do that in a couple of different ways. One is using independent data sets that did not go into the training of the model. So they cross-validation does not count. So you need independent data sets, ideally from different sources generated by other people to validate. And the ultimate test in my view, I'm, I'm also an experimentalist, is to go into the laboratory and design an experiment to test your understanding. That takes a lot of effort, but when the stakes are this high, doing that experiment becomes absolutely critical when you are going to give a drug to a given to some patient. So in my view, there's many layers of due diligence that can address this issue. And depending on the problem, you pick the right approach. Well, Nitin, that's a, in many ways a fine note to end on, that is, uh taking that discipline into the big data, real-world data realm. I want to thank you, and I want to thank our audience for the terrific engagement. But Nitin, it's always a pleasure, and we so appreciate your insights. Thank you. hope you enjoyed this episode of Theoretically Speaking and that you'll tune in to future episodes where we chat with pharma value, evidence, and access experts. Don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.